This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Dory 1, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to the Military Veteran Dad, episode 52. We are now on the other side of this mountain going downhill, and today we come back with a interview episode. So I'm putting a hold on the solos for a little bit. They will be back, so don't worry if you enjoyed them as much as I was. They will be coming back, but we're, we're diving into some interviews next. I'd like to remind every, all the dads out there that if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time in the holiday season, if you haven't joined our Facebook group, this could be the best gift that you give yourself to prepare yourself for the next decade and also the next year. That Friendships is one of those things that if you've been listening to the podcast, I talk about it over and over and over. It's the one thing that men want and need, but they aren't willing to admit that they really want or need. And in that Facebook group, we've got a a lot of good men who are supporting each other to do life together. And so if you've been listening for a while, I encourage you to give yourself that gift of coming to join the Facebook group, be a part of the community, give yourself the community that you need to help come home in 2020. Today's episode is with Brian Daughtery. He was in the Navy. He's got a five-year-old and a 16-month-old. He's got a wife of steel, as you'll hear about in the episode, of the things that she had to do and help support the family while he was at home. He's just a a great guy. He he was actually a listener of the podcast and reached out and wondering if he could be a guest in the podcast to give his view on fatherhood. And we had just a great conversation between two friends. And it was very much unlike an interview, but it was more just about two guys just talking about life and the various things within military, coming home, dealing with our egos, dealing with what it wasn't that we wanted to acknowledge. All of these things we talk about, and it's very good, just wide range of topics covered in this. So if you like just listening to a conversation between two guys, having a good conversation about being a dad... This will be your episode. And so without further ado, let's get started with Brian. Welcome to the show, Brian. Uh, Thanks, Ben. I appreciate it. Our friendship is just getting started. And you heard uh, Michael talking on the podcast and heard that episode and decided to reach out. Go ahead and describe a little bit about your background and what makes you a great dad. Okay, so... um... My background, I've got two boys, one who is five years old and one is about 16, 17 months. I separated from the Navy roughly roughly about a year and a half ago. I'm currently in the reserve, so I'm one foot in, one foot out, so to speak. I did eight years active duty, year and a half reserve. 
reserve status. And what makes me a great father, other than loving my kids unconditionally, I don't really know, to be honest with you. I think you'd have to ask them that. Have you ever asked I, them I that? Think if you, <laughs> well, if you ask my older son, Declan, he would probably say that I always hook him up, meaning, you know, I, I, I'm the parent that would sneak in some candy before dinner or before we go to bed, things you shouldn't do. You're the but rule I do breaker. it anyway. Yeah, yeah, I, I am the rule. Were breaker. you the rule breaker in the Navy? No, I wasn't. You were the rule follower. <laughs> I was not. I was the rule follower. Absolutely. You know, when I, my my time in the Navy, I just wanted to do a good job and make make a good name for myself. And it's kind of playing both sides, right? You're you're in, you are in the core. You understand it's playing to the officer side and it's playing to the enlisted side. And so at the end of the day, I always defaulted in trying to follow the rules and do the right thing. Because if you didn't, as you know, you got in trouble, it could severely affect your platoon's deployment, your deployment, and the ripple effect could be, could be catastrophic, actually. So you, you, had a fa- you had a family while you were active, or you've only had your family since you were in the reserves? I had my oldest son was born when I was active duty. And that was kind of an interesting, interesting thing for me because he was born, the Navy said, we'll give you two weeks. So I had my two weeks with my son and my wife when he was born. Then I had to take off for training and I had six months of training. I came back here and there from training and not, not a month, not a lot, but like I said, it was here and there. And then when I got done with my training, I had to go to school for three months. And then from there, they sent me overseas for a six-month deployment. So it was a really good amount of time until I got to spend some quality time with my son. I want to say it was probably 15, 16 months before I really got to spend time with my son. The only thing that I had going for me was I just knew I had a son. I didn't get a significant amount of time to bomb with him before I left for my obligations with the Navy. So there wasn't this, I didn't know what I didn't know, right? I wasn't, I didn't have this like, this overwhelming feeling of like my son, I'm missing him. I just knew I had a son. I didn't get a chance to follow him just yet. That's all I really knew. So I was kind of lucky in that aspect. As callous as that may sound, I was kind of lucky in that aspect, I feel. Mm-hmm. Let's rewind to that time frame. What do you think was going through your head when you first came back? When you welcomed, because essentially you saw your son born and then you fast forwarded six months, almost like the, I can't think of the Adam Sandler movie where he has the remote control to fast forward through time, whatever that movie is, where you right. fast forward to six months and you get to walk in the door and miss that first six months. Did you ever feel like there was emotions there that you weren't dealing with ever? Or like when you came back home, what is that? What did that feel like for you? I was super excited to come home. I, I spoke to my son to the extent that I could. I saw him on Facebook or not Facebook, FaceTime. I, you know, so I was, I was able to somewhat have some, to start, I was able to somewhat build a, a rapport with him at least on my end during my deployment and the time I was gone, when I came back, I was super excited. And it was kind of, it's kind of interesting. My funny, my buddies would always joke with me. They would say, you know, Brian, when you come home, your son's going to be talking. He's going to look at your wife and say, Hey mom, who's this guy? 
And I knew it wasn't going to be like that, but I was kind of worried that it was because he was all about my wife. They had an opportunity to bond. And I still was kind of this individual who he didn't really know all too well. Luckily, since I'm the dad that always hooked, always hooked him up, I was able to kind of turn that around really quick and kind of buy his affection and love. And, you know, he wasn't completely oblivious to who I was. I just didn't have an opportunity to bond the way I wanted to. I, I don't know that I really thought about it. I was just so excited to get home and kind of hold him and hug him and just spend some really good time with him. And I, and I knew that it was gonna t- it was only a matter of time before we were able to develop that rapport and that bond that that I wanted. What was coming home yeah, I, was like during that time frame after your wife had been alone with a newborn by herself? I'm sorry. What was coming home to your marriage like being gone for that long time? Um, it was difficult because I essentially, you know, I left. She was, she was going to school at that time. She had just quit her job to start a business and she was raising my son all by herself. I basically left her. I had to, I had no choice. Um, I think it took a bit of a toll in our marriage as all deployments do. And it takes a moment to get, to get back into the swing of things. You know, she's an amazing woman for someone to do all that and to keep a smile on your face while I was gone. Looking back and that, now that you asked you asked me this question, I, I'm impressed that she was able to do it. You know, I'm proud of my son, who he is and what he's become thus far. And it has a lot to do with what she was able to give to him while I was gone and even give to him now. Mm-hmm. It took some it took some time. I, I You know, were you married when you were deployed? No, I was pretty much put my life on hold when I was in the military. So nothing, I didn't even really date when I was serving. I put it all on hold and didn't start dating till I got out. Okay. It was pro- that's probably the smart thing. But I observed <laughs> a lot of families in Okinawa be separated because in Okinawa, you're deploying quite often to countries for a month at a time. So I, I, I observed that emotion and that uh, detachment and I just kind of knew from afar that, that I didn't want to create a family within that environment. Yeah, it, it's tough. My wife, at the time when I joined the military, she was my girlfriend. So she stuck with me all through my active duty and coming home from those deployments. My first deployment, it was fine. It was, you know, I, I joke with her that her and her girlfriend, she was going to have a six-month spring break while me and my buddies were deployed. And by and large, they did. And I'm happy that they had that spring break, you know, fun if you will. But the second one coming back, I think it was a lot more challenging because of all the stress and a lot of the burden that she carried by herself. I, I'm very thankful for it. I'm impressed. I'm going to put and you on the spot with a question. Take a sure. second to think about it because you might not have an answer right away. If you could go back in time and you only had one sticky note, what piece of advice would you write for yourself to leave on the table on that sticky note? What do you think that, I, you that, know, that uh, Brian five years ago needed to hear that you maybe didn't figure out till later? I don't think I really, so I joined the military when I was 29 years old. I call it my quarter life crisis. And I, I, despite being an adult, I don't think I really grew up. I don't think I really got what life was about until 
I was able to experience the past eight years. It, it was from the, the military basically helped me understand and figure out what it was all about. If I had to leave a sticky note, I would say do it sooner. Trust your gut instinct and do it sooner. I don't have any regrets in life. And I truly believe I am where I am today because of the, the choices I've made. And it's interesting looking back in life, I, you know, I chose to go left and I could have just easily gone right. And analyzing those situations, I would have, if I went right instead of left, I would have been, I would, I, I, I'd be in a completely different situation. I'm okay with all that, right? I'm okay with that. But it took me a while to kind of get out of my way and, and just go for it and take that leap. So the sticky note again would probably say do it sooner. And that's the do it sooner by joining the Navy. Joining the Navy sooner, you know, not being afraid, just do it. Just go, go and do it. You have nothing to lose. What about if so I get my second th- sticky note to leave it on the table the day you come home and meet your son after six months? What would be the sticky? What would the sticky note say to myself? Yeah, it's your day that you come home. You've been gone for six months. What is the Brian that you wish you know now that he needed to know back then? Uh, tell my wife thank you, and tell her that I love her. Probably, I probably should have. I probably should have done that a lot sooner than I did, especially after the fact she raised my son. She was going to school full time. She quit her job to start her to her own business. Like that's a lot of stress. I would have, I would have, I would have. The, the sticky note would tell her I love her, to thank her, to acknowledge her feelings a lot sooner than I did. And I think what you just acknowledged there, Brian, for every dad out there, if I could talk to the dad listening, this is something that's been repeated multiple times on the podcast. That when you go on a deployment, you're borrowing time from your family and it's a credit card and you have to intentionally repay that debt back. And the moment you walk through the door, it starts collecting interest on what you haven't repaid and Mm -hmm. prioritizing your wife because throughout everything that you're creating in life, your wife is the one that's going to last forever. Your kids, you could be excited for your six month old, but at some point your five-year-old will leave you now. It's going to be guaranteed. He's going to leave you out in the world. And that right. repayment plan to your wife is the one that's going to make it t- take you to the end of your life. And prioritizing right. your wife through that has been some of the biggest deployment advice that I've, I've heard over times. And the other one that I often hear is related to try to explore what life was like through those six months through just, um, I was just exploring this with the Navy SEAL on last week's episode and we kind of coined it together, calling it an empathy bridge. Like truly trying to ask questions and dig deep to what life was like while you were gone, because then you can start to build the emotional connection of what she went through. And then you have this bridge of empathy to come back and reestablish that intimacy and connection in your marriage and go forward together versus trying to play catch up or try to work past resentment. Maybe that by being curious about what life was like, you can kind of catch back up. And then you can kind of go forward together. Right. Right. But it takes priority. Yeah, you I mean, got to show up intentionally and you got to, like, it starts with even just thanking her and trying, even, especially if your yeah. kids were older during this deployment, the same advice. Like, what did your kids go through at school? What bullies did they have to deal with that they couldn't talk to you about because you were deployed? All of those things were real moments that you missed. And they may never come yep. and tell you them, 
until maybe they're 19, 20, maybe 30. And they'll come back and tell you like, yeah, while you were gone, I was going through a really hard time. And you're like, well, why didn't you I mean, come if, tell if, me? If, if you're lucky, if you're lucky. If you're me. lucky. So try to explore <laughs> the coming home with that curiosity. Cause I, I, I set up Google searches for military dads and almost every military dad weekly videos is all about the coming home videos where they're at school and they hug and it's this pure energy yep. of happiness. But that honeymoon phase ends and you've got to do the real work to rebuild that gap for that time right. that you borrowed from everyone in the family. And it's oh, an yeah. intentional thing. And I believe it's these cyclical um, withdrawals that lead to such a mm-hmm. high divorce rate in the military because the, the, the accounts just keep going bankrupt. There's only, it's just like a credit card. There's only so much you can borrow before the bank calls your notes on it and sends you to collections. Well, it's interesting because you, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure you're familiar with this. If you're not, you will be. Um, the military is like in your business, right? They're like in your family's business. Not only your business, but they're in your family's business. And they know, they're aware of this high divorce And they know the toll that it takes on your family, your listeners, you know, who are in the military and have families, they know all this. They have, they have FRG clubs, family, family readiness groups. They have, when you're deployed, they have, they do all they can to like bring your wife, your kid into the, into like the military family to make things okay to the best that they can while you're deployed. And I, it took me the longest time to understand why they were doing that. I'm like, God, they're so intrusive. Just leave me alone. Leave my family. Let me, let, us be. My, let me, let me do what I want and let us be. But it's kind of like, they knew, they know, they knew, they know, right? Like they understood. And no matter how much they, how much they tell you this, it's tough because you kind of have to figure it out on your own. And then hopefully when you figure it out, it's not too late. The idea hopefully, of your, uh, dancing around is, is ego that um oh, yeah. that feeling that you're having like man they're up in my business that's really because if they get up in your business they'll figure out that you're a fraud and that is something that a lot of military members hide from because they don't want you to feel or notice that you don't have it together and they want that you want that separation because then it create it allows your ego to kind of grow itself within your unit at work but then come home and have your different side of you come out but that ego is the one thing that I'll always get in the way from you coming home as a dad. And it's one of the first things well, you got to turn off because you got to be able to recognize what you need to do in order to come home. You can't do it with your ego. Well, not, not, not only that. I mean, the ego destroys everything, right? Like yeah, relationship, every relationship, every relationship you have, you become that your guy. ego destroys it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, like coming from, you know, active duty, I, I was also in the SEAL teams and, you know, yeah, you get, you get a pretty big ego in that environment. And then to come into the civilian world and to like check that ego with all your relationships, whether it's your personal work or just casual acquaintances, it's it's tough, and I think I, I would I would ask you this: Was it tough for you to check your ego from coming out of the military? I mean, you were in a highly functioning unit, also. Yeah, I would say my ego was maybe an emotional ego. So for me, deep down inside, I was a scared little farm boy that was scared to really be himself. So my ego was trying to hide right. that person, 
And I would always create personas to fit into the groups that I thought I needed to fit into and yeah. or thought the groups that I needed to be into to be friends with. And each time I did that, I, I lost a little bit more of myself. And so for my ego yeah. was always keeping that shy Ben Kaloy that's never been in a fight, that's never really been in a true conflict with another person where a punch has been thrown. Like that mm -hmm. shy little boy was always in the shadows. And the light was this person that had this facade of being smart, intelligent, and just tried to be the guy that could be liked. Because that was often yeah. the, the sub-programming for me was always trying to be liked around me and just doing whatever it took. Like there's day, I look back on some of the things I did and I was really just waiting for someone to come up to me one day and say, Ben Colloy, I'm proud of you. And it never would yeah. come. So my brain just kind of kept doing these things. My ego was trying to hide the fact that I was that scared little farm boy that didn't know what to do. So when, when were you able to shed your ego? Um, really when I, one, the first part I would say is when I faced being a veteran on the outside. So I probably ignored being a veteran for 10 years. I didn't really want anything to do with it. I didn't do anything related to it. I didn't talk about it. I was more kind of just keeping it in my shadows. And then as I started my side hustle, I realized that I could serve veterans as one of my first ideas. And that really t made me face being a veteran. And then once I started doing that, that's when I got in some dad groups and I really just kind of got into a safe space of vulnerability and feeling accepted with who I was. Mm -hmm. and that safe place really kind of let me kind of almost blossom a little bit and figure right. out who I am in a very safe manner where you can talk to anybody and just kind of like, and almost when you start, when you can let that guard down, the best part of it is you instantly start attracting other people with that vulnerability. Like that's the secret magic to vulnerability. Yeah. People think that it's this weakness that people are going to tear you down. If anything, it makes you stronger and it makes you more attractive and more people will come towards you because they resonated with what you just shared because they were say, saying the same thing. So a lot of me started happening maybe four years ago when I started getting in the, the Facebook dad groups for development and I started doing some masterminds and really just kind of started peeling back the onion on being self-aware and understanding what all these emotions were. I mean, right. I don't know if I told you this, but I've told a couple times in the podcast, but through this development, I went to a dad conference and I went into it as this shy boy that was very nervous about meeting the people that I had met online because essentially my two versions are merging. The me, Ben Cloy, that shows up in person and the Ben Cloy that showed up on Facebook. And I was super nervous. And I went in there handshaking, kind of trying to just be the confident Ben Cloy or the fake Ben Cloy. And instantly started people started upgrading the hugs. And I kind of anticipated, but I wasn't going to be the first. So then I go forward and keep kind of hugging. By the end of this conference, I became the guy that gave good hugs. But that was the least likely thing. I, I have never been a hugger. I, I mean, have always felt uncomfortable yeah. hugging. And now it's something that I admit openly, but it, it wasn't something that I even acknowledged was there, even knew was there. But it kind of just blossomed yeah. in a safe place where it could. And that's what I think you, you need that safe place on the other side of transition. And even in active duty, like this is the hardest part about serving in the military, having a family, active duty is there is no real safe place for you to be vulnerable because when you're 
on active duty, your emotions are generally needed to be in check. And if you don't keep them in check, they're going to get killed. Or that's how they train you. So that way you prepare and act the same way when you go into battle. But that that lockdown is what always gets us because you need that safe place to really just kind of sit in that moment. Sometimes I describe it as like, if I'm sad, I'll just say like, I just need to sit in it. I just need to sit in it for 15 minutes and really just let myself feel sad to really understand what it's trying to tell me sometimes. Yeah. You, you, so you said a couple of things that kind of resonate with me. One is I don't think that you or one can operate on that lockdown mode 24 seven. I think that's too detrimental to the human, to the human psyche. It's, I agree. And I think this good. is what just builds up, um, I think this is what also catastrophically makes people fail on transition is there's a lot of um, the worst case scenario happens when someone joins the military that doesn't have an identity. Maybe they had a broken family and they essentially right. assimilate the uniform as they, who they are. They become Superman when they put mm-hmm. the uniform on and their entire identity is wrapped up into that uniform. And it's just this giant, it's almost like, the Troy castle. It's this massive castle inside and eventually it ends and it all comes crashing down and they have nothing left. Like that's the pit that most people fall into when they surround themselves in that. That's like the extreme part of it. And there's been a couple uh, that I've, I've known that have ended up killing themselves because their ego is so strong and identities wrapped up so much in that uniform that when the uniform came off, they really had no idea who they were. Well, you know, I don't want to disparage anyone who served or anyone who's serving, but I would venture to say that is very, very common, what you just described. Oh, yeah. Military takes the broken people. It doesn't take always the good people. It takes the people that (laughs) don't have a road to follow. And they're like, hey, we'll come over here. I'll give you a road to follow and I'll give you some money for it. We'll pay for your college. What can go wrong? And it's funny, though, because if if it takes that certain type of person that is a family for them. They're giving, they're getting something they didn't necessarily have in the past. They're getting an identity they couldn't find. And it only ends up potentially, potentially not always destroying them in the long run. Right. Which is, it's, it's, it's interesting to me. And for me, I have a similar one. I didn't really have a clear, any identity. I was just a lonely farm boy, I would say before joining the Marine Corps. And for me, the military kind of gave me pride. It issued me pride, I would say, because I never really felt pride on my own. And, but it gifted and awakened a lot of other things like leadership. But when I got out, leadership was, became dormant. It wasn't even something on my radar until 10 years later, until I heard a man talking about Zig Ziglar. And that man just kind of ignited. I'm like, I know all of his, these answers. And they came from the Marine Corps. They were just suppressed for over 10 years. So there are things that the military gives you for tools, but they kind of dress it up in this uniform part, and you never really get the oh, yeah. packet. And there is a, yeah. people always talk about the transition from active duty to civilian. But the one that they really never talk about, that actually it's a two-side coin, there's a transition. The very first transition is the one when you put on the uniform. And to really take off the uniform, you really got to go back to the beginning when you put it on and figure out what that person was like then, figure out the person who's taking it off, figure out how you've evolved and grew up, and then figure out how you've changed and then then take that with you. Don't take the uniform with you. Take who you've changed to with you because you got to compare it back to the beginning. But if you just leave 
and take that uniform off and assume the operating system will carry you on, the operating system's yeah. gone the moment the uniform is gone. But there are skills and traits right. that live on forever. But you don't think like that. So you just end up on autopilot for years. You're absolutely right. Let me ask you this question. Are you fond of your, your time in the service? Yeah, I would say I, I never went to Iraq or Afghanistan. So I would say maybe I had a, I don't know, a, one way to look at it. Like it was a positive. I lived in Okinawa for three years on a tropical island. I got to go to South Korea, the Philippines. It gifted me the idea of experiences. It gifted me the idea of seeing other cultures and experience and seeing a different view than the American way. Um, I, I do look at it as positive, but what I maybe held back, and this is one of the reasons why I avoid being a veteran, in my mind when I left, it didn't, I looked in the mirror when I left and I didn't still love the person that looked back. And I somehow arbitrarily said the military was going to fix that when I joined and then it wasn't there at the end. So I kind of looked at it as a failure. And even the gym, going to the gym kind of almost, I was, I looked at it as a failure in the Marine Corps. And I just was avoiding it because I didn't want to face that failure again. And even running, I avoided running. I hated running. Those are two things now that are part of my life. I've been going to the gym for four days a week at 5 a.m. for the last two years. And I just started running in June and I did a 5K in September. But that was a lot of fear and failure that I was avoiding. So I always loved being a Marine. I didn't always like the core, but I loved the, like that, I still love the pride that Eagle Global Anchor right. is issued when you put it on for that first time. Like yeah. that's something that isn't just taking with you when you, when you leave, like you honestly feel when you're a Marine that that lives on right. with you forever. Right. Well, let, let me ask you this again. Uh, I, I, I'm a firm believer. I said it before is, you know, everything, I don't know if I said it before, but maybe I was thinking, you know, I, everything happens for a reason. And I, I don't really have any regrets. I can look back at my life and kind of analyze the decisions I made and where they brought me to where I am today. Do you think that you, you could arrive where you're at today, where you're at? It sounds like you're in a really good place. I you would don't say have an absolute hell no. Um, and here's, I would say for me, I joined because the, I was going for the Air Force. So I had never really taken the hard road in life. The Air Force was yeah. computers. I wanted you were you you grew up on a farm though, right? Yeah, I mean, I knew what hard work was, but it was never it was something I it wasn't something I chose. It was just there. Um, I yeah, never I chose on my own free will to take the hard road. If maybe if I'd chosen to be a farmer, then I might consider I took the hard road. But um, right. I cho I was taking the easy way with the Air Force. I wanted computers. I wanted the least amount of work, and that kind of was my default. But then. Marine recruiter pounced, bounced in my life, literally, because he came into the church picnic with the bouncy house. And two weeks later, <laughs> after meeting him, I joined, I raised my right hand for the Marine Corps instead. And I was been least likely voted to join the Marine Corps. I was fat. I couldn't run a mile. I couldn't do three pull-ups. I could barely do one pull-up. And that was kind of like my dare to be great moment to keep pushing myself to something better. And I keep doing that. I got out of the Marine Corps because I felt like I was going to leave something on the table. I've left jobs because I needed to find out what else was out there. I've started this podcast right. because I felt like there was a higher calling for me to fulfill. And everything yeah. keeps pushing me to take that harder road. And I wouldn't have never done that if I hadn't taken the 90 degree turn for the Marine Corps. 
So you are kind of where you are, I'd say, because of your experience in the court. hundred percent. Because if I didn't do any of that, I would not have any of the wisdom or I, I wasn't anywhere close to where I, I would be now without that um, kick in the ass that being overseas in Okinawa and also just being in an environment where, I mean, the Marine Corps generally has to do everything a little bit harder. And so that's right. kind of in your mind forever. And it's just, it's created a, a yeah. tighter identity for me to go into. Right. So what would be your one piece of advice that you would write down on a sticky note had you had just one sticky note? Ooh, if I had one sticky note, I'd probably be my favorite transition advice. It would be talk to strangers as often as possible okay. because that has really been the second catalyst almost four years ago when I started talking to dads at the park. That really was yeah. a catalyst that would have gotten me here much faster. And if I, that mean, if the Marine, if the Marine Corps took you to a conference and said, take this product and sell it to a hundred people and you have no idea who they are and you just got to do that, that exercise of talking to something, someone random, building a rapport, trying to sell them on something, that skill would have served me a thousand times better than figuring out how to write a resume. Because every opportunity in your life is created through a conversation. Yeah. And if you don't feel comfortable Absolutely. through a conversation, you can't create opportunity. So it's all yeah. tied together. And a lot of veterans don't feel comfortable talking just because we feel maybe broken. We feel labeled. We feel like they don't understand us. All of these things can be pushed through if you get comfortable talking to strangers. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It, it, I mean, it's a good piece of advice, and I definitely don't disagree with it. I, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about relationships and connection, and you can't really do that with a resume. It and might be a little. You need that door, feeling of friendships on the other side. That that's what everybody wants back, but no one really knows it. And if you have friends, if you have that feeling of someone's there that you can talk to, yep. you can do anything. But if you don't have that, then you really can't do anything. And, but it all starts with talking to someone and you just got to put in the reps as I call it. And if you keep putting the reps, talking to people, you'll eventually get to that one person that can completely change your life, but yep. you won't be prepared for it because you haven't practiced and put in the reps and you'll probably just walk on by yeah. because you hesitated and didn't say hello. So I, I'm not going to ask you why you weren't, um, why you weren't for as long as time you weren't proud to be a, a veteran or you just wouldn't openly acknowledge it. And if you want to talk about that, that's fine. This is your podcast, not mine, but I will say this, the people that have been most willing to talk to me have been veterans. I remember when I was getting out, I had more veterans, veterans I've never met before. Veterans reached out to me you know, saying, Hey man, we love you, you know, because veteran suicide is pretty high. So I think there was a part of that. Hey man, we love you. I'm here for you. Whatever you need, let me help you. Whether it's whatever it is in life, let me help you. And it was my transition of getting out and having the veteran community open up their arms to me to have these conversations. It's the second time that I really fell in love with America. And I was like, I'm really proud to be an American, I'm proud to serve. I'm proud that I'm a veteran. I'm proud of the veteran community. And it was because of what you just said is getting out there and talking to people. And as I said earlier, it was a veteran community that, that 
that did that, that embraced me. And I would say for me, it was more tied to a little bit of how it ended. I had to participate in a court martial that really kind of just tainted my view of my ending. Um, But in general, it was more tied to if I would have been willing to talk to people, I probably could have created that space, but I wasn't. And I wasn't willing to admit that I was afraid. And so those two combined essentially created a barrier that I didn't sure. feel connected and I wasn't doing anything or didn't realize I had to do something for it to feel connected. I wasn't aware at this time that talking to people was the thing holding me back, but it really was the thing holding me back because all the people that I know now were there in the beginning. And during that time, I just wasn't doing anything about it. I wasn't talking. I wasn't trying to network. I was just trying to be the guy that hopefully didn't get figured out. You were kind of blind to it. You didn't want to see it. You don't want to accept it. Yeah. Yep. So let's switch back to you yeah, for a well, second. Get- I feel like you're interviewing me here for a second, which is fine. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> so you're in the Navy Reserve now, right? Or do you switch branches? That's correct. Okay. So you're in the Navy Reserve now. What does life That's look correct. like on the other side of your your services in the Reserve? What have you? What, so what are you dreaming for your life to be created when you become free of the service? You know... I, I think about that a lot. And as a reservist, I'm still getting the, the Navy is still messing around with me. I'm still getting pulled in all different directions. They're still saying one thing, doing another. They're still being hypocrites, all that stuff. I have to go report next week to my reserve unit. And I, you know, I've spent 24 hours trying to book an airline ticket and get orders so that I can go do this. I'm trying to be a super squared away sailor. I'm trying to be good, right? But they make it very difficult for me to be good and for me to get my stuff. I have a full-time job. I have a family and I have a watch business that I'm trying to get off the ground and get up and running. I don't have time to deal with the stupidity that the reserves brings because no one can do no one can help me out, right? You understand, like, the military is just stupid sometimes, right? Like, the system doesn't work when you need it to work the most. So my, what does my life look like on the outside when I'm done? It's spending time with my boys and teaching them the lessons that I learned while I was active duty that... I thought were valuable to me becoming who I am today. I started a watch company and named it after my son because part of the idea was I wanted him to learn those lessons. And I liked watches and I thought, and I still do think this, that he can learn these lessons that I learned through someday running this watch company with me and learning those lessons and learning about how I operate and why I operate the way that I do. I don't know that I'll ever be out of the Navy. <laughs> you know, I was only going to do six years, then I did eight years, now I'm in the reserves. <laughs> so it's kind of one of those things I love to hate it. Yeah. And I hate to love it, you know. Um, it's like a child in your life. <sighs> Go away until you leave the house. <laughs> until it leaves the house. I, you know, so I got to go report next week to San Diego. 
Uh, it's just a big ass pain for me just to get all this stuff done. I'm like, don't you live mind. in Colorado? And I live in Colorado. That's right. And so, <laughs> where there's no boats. Where there's no boats. Well, the reserves. I, I I don't know how. It's, I don't understand how it's set up. But at, I re, I will drill out of Buckley Air Force Base with a bunch of Navy people. I don't know why the reserves say you can live wherever you want to live, despite there's no water there. I don't get that. I don't really. <laughs> Especially care the Navy. I feel like that one's an oxymoron. Right, but it works, right? Like they do it, like they go drill, and then if they get called up, and and, I, and when I say drill, like we're they're not like practicing stuff that you would do on the ship out here. They're, they're, it's more of accountability type deal. Like, okay, is your medical record squared away? You got to do your PT test, hang out for two days, one week in a month. You know, it's kind of, make sure your dental all so it's more of an accountability type deal. For me, I can go to San Diego and drill with my reserve unit out there and do sustainment training that they deem that they deem helpful. So whatever. Anyway, they let me do that. It's cool. I'm happy. I can live in the state that I want to live in. And then when I get bored or cold out here, I gotta to go to San Diego and so it's just it's like this pendulum back and forth. I'm getting tired. I get tired of the civilian world. Then I get to go do my play in Navy SEAL for the weekend. I'm like, oh, yeah, now I remember why I left active duty. And then I go back to the civilian world and it's just mm-hmm. it's back and forth. But to answer, you know, to answer your question in a long, in a long winded way, it's spending more time with my boys and teaching them to to be the person that they want to be. And I think that's hard for people to do because of all sorts of reasons outside influences trying to fit in all sorts of stuff like that and we were, we were kind of talking about this with, with earlier that when I stopped really caring about what other people cared about and what I thought I should be and what I thought I should be doing life got so much better mm-hmm. and I don't know it's got to be a maturity thing right like it's got to be as you get older like you you feel that way I don't know I've definitely seen it as there's like in the in the 20s you care what everybody thinks in the 30s you don't really have time because you have kids and by 40s your brains don't get and then by 50 you're you're doing your own program and you're because you're I mean everybody else has created their own program so why not and um you're not worried about Facebook the other 50 year old guy next door anymore because it's not a matter about keeping up because you're halfway through the race and at that point I think everybody's in a different mindset of how they're looking towards the end versus looking at the race and figuring out what the next guy is doing. Well, you can check your, you're like more able to successfully check your ego. You're like, whatever. Right. Like, yeah. Okay, man. It's always about that ego. And, and you know, it's always, it always messes things up. Here's a question so, I haven't asked in a long time, but your, my answer might be yeah. interesting to share. Fast forward. Your five-year-old is 30 years old. He's at a bar talking with his friends. And he's yep. describing what his dad is like. What's something that you hope to be in that sentence or that paragraph that he describes you as that you've instilled with him in it by the age of thirty? I hope he just. I hope he says he describes me as loving and caring. I I can't say. Yeah, I, I think about this a lot. Quite frankly, I don't care. I'm 30 years old in the bar. Wow, that's a very poignant question. 
what is he going to look like? What's he going to do? He's probably not going to want, he's probably not going to be doing anything that I thought he would be doing <laughs> or anything that I remotely have an interest in doing me personally, like something completely on the opposite end. Uh, yeah. I hope he describes me as a loving father, a loving and caring father, because that's how I describe my parents. And I think that's, that's the best gift in my opinion that you can give your children is let them know that you love and care about them. I have, I mean, that's all, that's how I describe my, my relationship with my parents or my childhood growing up is, you know, I, I can say, despite the, how many of our fights I got with my parents, despite how many times they grounded me, despite how many times they still annoy me to this day, all I can say is they still love me. And I know that they still love me and I feel it. So I hope that's what my son can say about me when he's 30 years old at a bar. First of all, I hope he's not at a bar drinking. I hope he learns from my mistakes and doesn't drink at all. <laughs> well, I think every kid has to go through phase of figuring it out that part on their own. Uh, the question is kind of rooted in the idea as you yeah. go with your parent that there's lots of things that you start worrying about. But honestly, the only ones that matter are the ones that are going to affect those answers when he's 30, describing you to a friend. And right. those are the long-term deposits that you're making in their life. And as long as you're making those in the right categories, everything else will work out. Everything else goes away and they'll forgive you. And even on your worst yeah. week or day or month, I mean, kids forgive parents like snap their fingers. Like you're their hero no matter what kind of day you had at work. And that mindset, just remembering, yeah. is this really going to matter if he's describing me at a bar when he's 30? And if it's not, then it's, it, you just going to brush it off and let it go because that's an easy way to refocus on what matters as a dad and let go of control, which was something we were talking about before we hit record. And right, right. Focus in on that legacy. We've, we haven't talked about it in this, but I've pretty much talked about every episode now that the biggest thing that military dads leave on the table is focusing their efforts on creating a legacy that goes beyond right. them, that goes beyond their kids. And it's a generational legacy that generally, if, if you put enough effort in, can really make a momentum and change the world. Because if you start making a generational type legacy and family with values and instincts and experiences, you can really start to make a difference in this world a hundred years into the future by taking it. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't disagree with you. I've never actually heard anyone say that before. So it's a very profound thought. And I think it's dads and parents think that way. Mm -hmm. Do you think the majority of them do? Mm. Maybe I'll, I don't, I don't actually, I don't think so because most dads, it, the problem with the week, the, the, this legacy is there's so much routine that there's no time to pause. Like consumer, it's a downside of capitalism. Consumerism is about patterns. Patterns require you to go to Target every weekend to do your Target run, mm -hmm. to spend that same yeah. amount of money. That pattern, the groceries, the homework, the, the sports, that pattern prevents you yep. from really pausing and thinking. But that pattern keeps oh, yeah. consumerism running. But at the same time, that pattern prevents you living an extraordinary life because you really need to break, break the pattern in order to do something different, to create a child that believes the world can be different. Because if you create a child that just knows how to work the pattern, they're really not going to go out there and do anything magical because they're just going to re-enter the pattern and right, you got to right. break that pattern to really change that. Um, have you heard of the Navy SEAL Andy Stumpf? I, I, yes, I have. 
So yeah. he, he was on the podcast and he gave me a brilliant piece of advice to kind of spearhead this legacy. As a Navy SEAL, he's trained to be an effective killing force. But that uh-huh. effectiveness is limited to how far the bullet can travel downrange. That no matter right. how much training, no matter how much effort, the bullet still travels the same amount of distance. But as a father, that bullet and your effectiveness as a father can literally go 100 years into the future. So when you think of where your time and energy are best spent, you will always be more effective as a dad years into the future than you will as, as a, someone that serves in the military. Not to discredit what we do in the military. I mean, it's purposeful. And it has no, purpose. you're... At the same, but at the same time, there is, it has a purpose, but it's a finite purpose, and it will end. But the effort that you put in as a dad will literally go 100 years into the future if you do it right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, I mean, it, it always, and it comes back to this thing of, of human connections and relationships, right? The relationship that you have with your child. It's, it's, it's an interesting thought. And you're right. I don't know that people necessarily think about it, but you brought it to my attention. And yeah, absolutely. It totally makes sense. 100%. 100%. I was at a conference in August and it was a podcast conference. And at the end of it, uh, they were doing a montage. And I don't know how I put this together, but something about the montage, I was just thinking about all the random podcasts that were there. And I was like, because podcasting is about human connection. It's about two people having a conversation mm-hmm. and sharing it with thousands at the same time. And yeah. I realized that currently the construct of society is that almost the hope of humanity sits in the internet. It sits in Facebook. It sits in Instagram, which is where everybody's focus goes. But the hope of humanity doesn't lie in the internet. It lies in human connection. And as we, and I think that's what I like about podcasts because it's more about the connection. So as we, figure out better ways to come back together as a country and a society and a, uh, occupants of planet earth. I believe we have the tools and capacity to change the world that we live in faster than ever before. But until we figure out how to create that human connection and focus on generational type change, we'll still always be a little bit stuck because we'll be outsourcing our hope to the internet, which if you've ever been on Twitter, there's not much hope there. It's the wrong place to test your hope. I understand what you're saying. I would like to put a little bit of a spin on that, if I may. See, I feel like there is hope for humanity, despite all that stuff going on. Because at the end of the day, we as humans crave human connection and relationships. Now, some of them might be misguided or misinterpreted or people might think it's a real thing when it's not via social media, Twitter and all that stuff. But really at the end of the day, we crave human connection, contact and relationships that nothing will ever be able to replace that other than actual human connection. In my, my comments more tied to like people, like the, the connections on the internet are good and they connect with people and you get, make more friends like this connection, but people, put their hope in the internet. The real hope comes through you sharing a coffee with someone and understanding what their day's like. That's where you're going to move mountains. Then we haven't lost the social media world that we, we get more connected to our phone than through the people sitting next to us. Well, again, I have, I have hope for humanity because I, I I understand what you're saying, but I, I think 
And I have hope too. It's just that people are looking in the wrong areas that I feel like as podcasting grows, that's where the hope comes from is through the conversations and micro conversations. Podcast. I like, I described it as like a windshield that's cracked. That the United States is a fractured windshield that's not broken. There is still the film holding it all together, but it's a thousand pieces. And the media can't have enough conversations to put all the pieces back together. But podcasting is essentially. There's 750,000 podcasts in the human in the English language. All of those little conversations, microchasms in every category of every niche you can think of that maybe is a societal problem, they're all happening on some social level now with podcasting. And those are like the glue that are going to go in between those cracks and put it back together. Like I'm more convinced yep. than ever than the conversation that podcasting is having will be the micro chasms that starts to piece back the conversations and the glue and the the windshield back together and it's happening below the surface of what the media is noticing which is where really i get the most hope is that if you look to like the the media you probably lose hope but if you look to podcasting what's being created and if you go to these conferences where podcasters come together i that the conference in august like i have i've had more hope than ever because there are good people out there you just need to create those connections and I can create a thousand times better human connections at a conference than I can sitting on Facebook. And I can spend two years trying oh. to create a business on Facebook and really never get anywhere. But three days Absolutely. at a conference, you can move a mountain and find that one person you need to know your entire life. Oh, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. I, I, yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. It, it's, it's not interesting. It's just, it's, it's, I think we forgot about it. It is, and I'm not. It is interesting, but like it's just it's basic, right? Like we yeah, it's going back to the basic that. instinct. It's the I've heard to describe that 2010 social media was the next big thing. In 2019, talking to people will be the next big thing. <laughs> It'll become <laughs> right. A and that's circle. what we've been doing. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, I think that we're just we're just blind right now. Like society's just blind. It's just this stuff is flat. I mean, even I, even I like will find myself like on Instagram and I'm just, you know, I'd like in, I I get sucked in and I got to snap out. I'm like, what are you doing? Who cares? (laughs) Who cares? Go talk to someone. Get out of you. Like go outside, go talk to someone. And I, in one of my, I, I, I enjoy like people watching and, when people, you know, you go on a street, if you don't do this, just pay attention to people that are walking around who have their phone, their heads in their phones, crossing streets, not looking at one another, and really just like in this stupid device of ours. It's, it's ridiculous to me. I started playing this little game with myself, pretending that I didn't have a cell phone. I mean, just pretend you don't have a cell phone. Pretend it doesn't exist. Like, don't like worry about it. And when I first started playing this game and doing this exercise, it was really weird at first because, you know, for like the first few days when I did this, I was like, what? I, like, I don't, I don't, I don't get what I'm supposed to do. Cause even I found myself on a board or I don't want to talk to someone. I just like pull out my phone and I just do whatever I do on my phone. Right. Mm-hmm. But since I started doing this, this exercise, when I first, like I said, when I first started doing it, it was really weird. I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do. And then eventually, like, you get kicked out of it fairly quickly. And it's like, all right, I'll go talk to someone or I'll just stare and look at the clouds or enjoy something that actually is, exists, that exists, that I can touch, that I can smell, that I can see. 
in the you know <laughs> it's, it's interesting i would recommend you try it sometime if you haven't already i've had a few occasions where i've had to go multiple a day without anything uh Inscrutably, just from breaking things or things not working or forgetting it somewhere. Yeah, all right, it's yeah. a real deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we talk about this, and yet I still, I would still say, like, I'm a, I still fall prey to it, even though I'm aware of it. Yep. Anyhow. Well, Brian, as we wrap up this conversation, it's been a really wide conversation. Let's call it because we've dived into a lot of different areas on this on this conversation. It's very much almost like more than maybe most episodes, I feel like we just sat down at a coffee shop and had a conversation about life in a lot of random. Absolutely. That's some of the best stuff. Cause that's where the, the gold comes from. What's one yeah. parting piece of advice that you want to leave for every military dad listening to this. If you could sum up from what you've learned. Oh man. One piece of advice. I, I would, I, I know it's kind of like what we had talked about earlier uh, don't forget who you are and, and, and don't forget to, I would say, don't forget to who, who you are, who you, who you really are inside. Because I, I think once I know for myself, once you, it hasn't been recently until I'm like, I was been very comfortable with who I am and what I've done and what I know, and what I don't know. And when I realized that when I checked my ego, the world opened up to me and when I can be myself, I can be happy and, and the world opened up to me, then I can be so much better to my children. I can be so much better. I can be a better father. I can, I can be more compassionate. I can be more understanding. And so my, again, my advice would be don't forget who you are, who you truly I love that. are. No one's given that advice at the end. So that's a new one. So I like it. Yeah. And it is a perfect way to, to remind a dad that the first step to coming home is to remember you are a person of value. Your kids love you and that you are their hero and stepping into who you are is the best way to fulfill your marriage and your life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. I agree. Well, Brian, I want to personally thank you for one reaching out to me blindly on the internet and asking me to come on the podcast. Cause I know this conversation is going to bring a few dads home and I appreciate your time tonight. I know it was a little bit, uh, we were wondering if it was going to happen, but I'm glad we made it happen. And I look forward to getting this episode out in the world. Absolutely. And I, I want to say thank you for having me on the show. This, uh, this was a conversation I did not expect to have tonight. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it was profound pointed at times and thank you very much. You really, you've, <laughs> you've caused me to think a little bit further beyond than I normally do on certain topics and consider some things I didn't consider. So I appreciate that, Ben. And from one veteran to another, thank you very much for what you do. Well, I said earlier, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be a veteran. I, I fell in love with America because of people exactly like you that are willing to talk that, will, that have opened up their arms. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate that too. And as we're just around the corner from Veterans Day, happy Veterans Day. Uh, likewise, brother. All right. Well, thank you and you have a great night. All right, you too, bud. Thank you. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet on iTunes, I would really appreciate it and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. 
dads, it's time to come home.